Well, welcome. This uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent, and you probably already noticed some changes today. We have different colors. Uh, we also have some different songs and changes to the orders of our liturgy and to our prayers. Um, and you won't be hearing the bells during Eucharist, which we miss. And uh, we also won't be saying the Alleluia's either. Although there's always that one moment when one of you will forget. And we'll say it anyway, and it's a little bit awkward. It happens every year. It's okay. We will just roll with it. And hopefully it won't be one of us. Um, But for those of you who may be new to Anglicanism, and I know that's a lot of you, uh, these changes aren't just because we like variety. Rather, they are signaling that we are actually doing something different in this time of year. We're entering into a new liturgical season whose roots go all the way back to the earliest times of Christianity. Now, traditionally, Lent was a time of preparation that lasted 40 days and that new Christians would undergo leading up to their baptism at Easter. And over time, this tradition has changed a bit, and it's now extended to the entire church. And each year during Lent, we spend 40 days together, together as a community, in prayer and reflection, a repentance and even fasting leading up to the time of our Easter celebration. Now, as I began thinking about how I would prepare for Lent this year and what I might fast from this season, I thought this year, I'm going to go big. I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to go vegan. Yeah. Now, I know that's probably not very impressive to you actual vegans out there. uh, But for me, um, giving up meat and giving up dairy, that's actually a pretty major change. But as I started thinking about all these new recipes I'd try and all these great new meat and dairy-free products I'd get to sample, um, I started wondering, why exactly am I doing this? Am I just blindly following some assumption that the bigger the fast, the better the Lent? Whatever I was doing, it seemed to be a lot more about me and my need to prove myself worthy and a lot less about God. And that seemed like a problem. So, what I want to spend some time reflecting on today, this morning, is what are we doing in Lent? Why are we fasting, and why are we encouraging all of these reflective and penitential practices? Our reading from Romans today, I think, actually helps get us rightly oriented for Lent by reminding us that what Jesus accomplished for us It doesn't depend on our own righteousness. In Romans 5, verse 18, Paul describes how Jesus rescues us from the problem of sin and death. He writes, Just as one man's trespass, and the one man he's referring to is Adam, just as one man's trespass led to to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. So on the one hand, we have Adam, representative of humanity, who by his disobedience to God introduces sin and death into the world. And then on the other hand, we have Jesus, who by his perfect obedience to God has unleashed the free gift of righteousness and abundant grace, which is more than enough to overcome the devastating effects of sin and death in our lives, and in the world. But if you were listening closely to our reading today, 
you may notice that Paul describes this righteousness that we receive from Christ as a free gift. In fact, he uses this phrase, free gift, five times in the course of three verses. It seems like he really wants to emphasize this point. Like Adam, we will never be perfect in our righteousness. We will never be perfectly faithful or perfectly obedient. But by receiving the free gift of righteousness in Christ, we are, we are united with him and lifted up with him out of our sin and restored to a state of perfect righteousness as God always intended us to be. We are incorporated into Jesus' divine vocation of healing and restoration for our world, but our righteousness comes as a free gift and not because we earn it. Yet I wonder if some of you have a hard time accepting that. The term that comes to mind when I think about that is imposter syndrome. Are you familiar with this term? I spent 20 years working as a woman lawyer in the corporate world, <laughs> so I've definitely experienced it myself. But it's this idea that no matter how strong your resume is, how qualified you are, how good you are at your job, you still feel like you shouldn't be there. And if the people only knew the real you, they'd see you for the imposter that you are, someone who doesn't really belong. But the reality is that you are qualified and that you do belong. So are any of you out there today suffering from imposter syndrome when it comes to being here? Do you feel like, yeah, you know, people here, they, they seem to like me, they accept me. What if they really knew? If they really knew what was going on inside me, my secret struggles and my deepest sins, they'd know I don't really belong. Maybe you think if you got your Lenten practices just right, devoted enough time to prayer, enough to your fasting, went vegan, then maybe you'd come a little closer to belonging. And I would say to you, if we're relying on our own righteousness to be here, then none of us belong. We would all be imposters. Yet because of the free gift, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we all belong. We all belong, no matter what you bring with you today. So, if our righteousness is made possible by the gift of Jesus Christ, then what does that mean for how we approach Lent? Well, what do we know about gifts? We know some aren't so great, and we may re-gift them, or maybe stick it on a shelf and never think about it again but not the good gifts. The good gifts transform us. My son got a new trumpet, and now he's a trumpet player. Think about a wedding ring or money to cover college or medical expenses. These are the good gifts, gifts that transform us and allow us to bear fruit. This is the type of good gift that we receive from Jesus. When we receive the gift of righteousness from Jesus and the freedom from sin and the new life it brings, we became transformed people. And we engage in the Lenten practices of self-reflection, prayer, and penitence 
not because we think we can earn our righteousness, but because we are learning to live into our, ident our identities as new and transformed people. Not as people enslaved to our insecurities and our false selves, but as people who trust in God and are learning to live as the people that he created us to be. But we know that transformation takes work. And being transformed from slaves of sin to the people of God inevitably requires time in the wilderness. This was true for the people of Israel who spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness learning how to trust God, relying on the manna he provided each morning to sustain their lives. And as we're hearing today, Christian tradition even connects the 40 days of Lent to the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the wilderness. It's because the wilderness is where we learn to trust in God, and it's where we learn how to listen to his voice and become his people. In our gospel reading today, we read about what happened to Jesus after he spent 40 days in the wilderness. At the end, uh, the devil tempted Jesus to use his power for his own benefit. But Jesus refused. And instead, he showed perfect trust in the Father to provide for him. No doubt Jesus was hungry after fasting for 40 days. Scripture even tells us he was famished. And as both God and man, Jesus had the power to turn stones into bread and feed himself. But instead, he trusted that the Father would feed him in his time. And Jesus could have proven his divine identity to the world by throwing himself off a cliff and having the angels come and rescue him. But he didn't. He trusted that the Father would reveal who he was in accordance with the Father's will. And Jesus could have taken the initiative and seized the opportunity to bow down to the devil and become ruler of all the kingdoms of the world. But he didn't. Instead, he submitted to the Father's way in order to secure his kingdom, which, by the way, was the way of the cross. Well, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness for those 40 days. We know that in the end, he demonstrated perfect trust in the Father. And after he left the wilderness, his perfect alignment to the Father's will continued. It continued all the way to the cross. I imagine that in the wilderness, along with fasting, Jesus spent time with the Father in reflection and solitude and prayer in order to prepare for his journey. And in Lent, we're invited to do the same. We're invited to spend time with God, to learn how to surrender our self-centeredness, our self-reliance, to shed whatever self-protective layers it is that we've built up and learn to trust in God. It's in the wilderness that we slow down and we come face to face with whatever it is that's interfering with the transforming work that God's doing in our lives whether it's fears or anxieties or self-doubt or pride. In the wilderness, we're invited to name those things, understand them, seek healing and 
where needed, repentance and forgiveness. In the wilderness, we're invited to continue finding our way back to our original selves with God's thumbprint still on us. So what does the wilderness look like for you this Lent? What's waiting for you there? I'm from Texas. So I imagine the wilderness is a West Texas, de- West Texas desert, somewhere off I-10 between here and El Paso. But the desert is where you find loneliness and heat, hunger and discomfort. When we encounter the desert, we're required to turn around and retreat back to a safer place. I know what I've encountered in the desert before. It's broken relationships and loneliness, lack of direction, anxiety for my future and my children. But I've also found healing and hope and new direction from my time spent with the Lord in the desert. For some of you, spending time in the wilderness may lead you to confront difficult things. Maybe it's a scary medical diagnosis or a troubled marriage. And for you, your Lenten practices, learning to trust in God may just mean encountering God in the Psalms, or pouring your heart out and receiving sympathy and counsel from a trusted friend. And for some of you, the wilderness may be where you confront spiritual apathy, or our tendency to just turn to old self-soothing habits and, um, instead of turning to the Father and doing the demanding work of real transformation. And for you, your Lenten practices may require some more disciplined times of self-examination and prayer and fasting in order to help you reorient your habits away from yourself and back to him. And then for others of you, maybe those of you with small children, you may just feel overwhelmed and exhausted right now and can't even imagine finding time to spend in the wilderness. And for you, your Lenten practice, your learning to trust in God, may just mean finding a few quiet moments each day of solitude and prayer and inviting God's assurance that you will make it to the end of the day and the next one and the next one. Whatever you find in your wilderness, know that you don't go there alone. You have this church community to walk alongside you, to pray with you and for you, and to extend God's forgiveness and reconciliation. And most importantly, you have a Savior leading you who's been in the wilderness himself, who knows what it's like to be tempted and who knows what it's like to be alone and hungry. And whatever your wilderness looks like today, know that it doesn't last forever. It's your preparation, necessary and inevitable preparation, for living fully is the person God has created you to be. And remember that after our 40 days of Lent, we will have a great, joyful Easter feast, reminding us that through the wilderness, after the cross, 
there will come the resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.